Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. This is episode 85 with Ryan Estes on fishing as a performance enhancing tool. Uh, I just love to get a uh, background on my guests. So I'd love to hear how you got your start in uh, fishing and specifically fly fishing. You bet. Katie, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I think it's a great show and um, I'm really excited for this conversation. So um, I'm from Colorado. I'm actually from Denver, which which uh, is kind of shocking to most people. I, I, I talk to people in Denver and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from here. They're like, no, no, but where are you really, where are you right. from? I'm like, no, I'm from Denver. I was born here. So um, it's, I'm in a bit of an anomaly. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's quite a few fishermen and fisherwomen in Colorado now. Um, so I grew up fishing with my dad, you know, he, he brought me into it with, you know, salmon eggs and worms and just sitting on the bank of the lake. And kind of as a young teenager, kind of really got into fly fishing. So I've been fishing about 30 years um, and feeling um, pretty good about where I'm at right now. It's been a great season. So, you know, largely I am kind of a blue lining uh, Alpine Lake kind of guy. As much as I love the river, my son prefers the Alpine Lake. So that's where we go. Do you uh, pretty much exclusively fly fish at this point or do you still pick up the, the spin rod now and then? Oh yeah. Every now and again, you got to get in there with some Panther Martins, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly prefer, um, fly fishing, but you know, if I, it depends, you know, if I'm traveling, get in the ocean and you got to put some bait on there, we'll, we'll do that. But, but largely it's, it's mostly fly fishing. 
Okay, that sounds pretty similar to me. Then, like, I if if I'm fishing for something that fly fishing isn't really suitable for, I'll definitely pick up a spin rod. But if the option's there to throw a fly, uh, I'll usually choose that. It sounds like you're kind of on the sa- in the same boat. Absolutely, and it's interesting how like it, there's such a tribal division between fishing styles. So I like to kind of challenge that as much as I can, at least in myself. I mean, you know, I, a, a lot of my buddies give me a hard time for fly fishing because it seems just so fancy. There's there's right. <laughs> there's a lot of expensive gear and there's a certain aesthetic to all of the Tacomas with their rod vaults and everything. And I think it's cool. I'm into that. Um, but I'm certainly not snobbish in any way by any particular style. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're fishing for mm-hmm. crawdads with a piece of Velveeta cheese, that sounds like fun to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now, uh, is, is that something that you, um, I wouldn't say work toward it as some sort of mission, but I feel like personally, like I, I've got a lot of friends who uh, fish, you know, other ways. Um, I just went out with a friend the other day and he took me catfishing and uh, we had a great time. Um, and we were, we were discussing kind of that uppity nature of fly fishing. You go see people and they've clearly spent like thousands of dollars on their clothes just to go out and stand in a river, you know, as though that's going to help you catch a fish. Um, is that something that you've kind of tried to uh, tear down that, perception that fly fishermen are somehow like more uppity or uh, look down on other other anglers like I I feel like this is something that we need to move toward where you know I can respect the way you do it you can respect the way I do it Um, and I've I've been meeting more people who are kind of trying to bridge that gap and be like look we're all out here for the same reasons Um, do you have any like thoughts on that yeah absolutely I think it's important because you know we're all sportsmen and we all enjoy the great outdoors you know I don't think there actually is a division in in on the river or on the lake or anything else, everyone's having a good time. Mm-hmm. But of course, online, everything gets polarized and the way we're kind of like segmented and categorized so that they can market to us and sell to us, you know, is a, is a bit of that. I think a lot of that mm-hmm. is kind of exaggerated online, but I think I'm also in kind of a uh, different place because I'm not necessarily falling into one particular bubble. You know, you, you see the same thing in hunting circles as well. You know, you got like, you know, the, the, the elk kind of, um, public elk hunters are like kind of have a thing about, you know, water bird hunters and they're, you know, people that are in tree stands, everyone has their opinions and like there, there's definitely can be division, um, which is great because there's some really hilarious jokes oftentimes that come out of that when people can kind of openly trash each other. Uh, but I think if it's done in a good spirit, it's okay, you know, but, you know, I one thing I, I probably think of a, a detriment for the sport is if fly fishing kind of gets this like aristocratic kind of uh, perception, it, it might limit people from joining the sport, you mm-hmm. know. So that that I feel like is too bad because definitely there there isn't a big bar of entry, you know. I mean, give me a, a, a stick and a leader and, and I'm going to do some damage on the river. I guarantee <laughs> it. There's a great uh, – along these lines, my wife has a uh, – family cabin on the Gallatin in Montana, which we're going to go to in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. But it's just this wonderful water. And you have a lot of fly fishermen, particularly right in front of the cabin. It's kind of a, a hot spot for guides to bring out total rookies, you know? Mm-hmm. So same kind of thing. You see you see some, some wealthy folks out there, you know, just dressed to the nines in all your, your finest Patagonia and they're just struggling to catch a fish all day. And I'll be out there with a Tankara, just, you know, 10 feet in front of them, just pulling fish out all day with my bare feet dangling in the water or whatever, you know. So while it does have kind of a stigma, fly fishing in particular, um, I, I hope it, uh, people can be uh, have some of those 
uh, notions challenged because because really it's just about getting out there and getting wet, you know. Absolutely. I like I like what you mentioned about the like not really having much of a barrier to entry. I know it's hard to, you know, if you if you've never picked up a fly rod before, to understand what you're doing in the cast and everything can be difficult, but I feel like with all the resources today, um, you know, it is possible to teach yourself to fish and, you know, if, if you go for if you go for certain fish, you know, if you go for panfish or, you know, stocked trout or whatever, you don't have to be an expert. Like, don't take yourself to the hardest place to catch fish and expect to catch fish your first time out. Um, but I think that that notion is kind of being challenged more these days that it, it takes a ton of money and a ton of experience to go catch a fish. Like, you know, you need a rod, a reel, some line, and a fly, and a place where fish are willing to bite. And, you know, you can go out there and have a pretty horrible cast and have no expensive gear whatsoever and still come out of there with a bunch of fish. So I think that's something that uh, needs to be, I guess, advertised a little bit more. Unfortunately, the companies that want to sell you things aren't going to advertise that. But I think just as anglers, we need to kind of make that known to people who who want to pick it up because it's like it's not there is a barrier to entry, but it's not as big as a lot of people think. I totally agree. And I would encourage people not to spend money, especially if you're new. All this fly fishing stuff is very delicate. You are definitely going to break it. And if you step on a $1,000 rod, boy, that's a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I've been fishing with my kids for so long. And my son, he's 13 now. He's actually a very accomplished angler. I mean, he's a great fisherman. But, you know, I mean, when you got kids, even even when he, at his level, it's like, we're not breaking the bank on your gear, buddy. <laughs> you know? Right. So a lot, you know, it's it's the skill, you know, and even that component, you know, it, it definitely gets exaggerated. You know, a river runs through it that the perfect cast is like some kind of lifetime achievement. Uh, but anybody who's out there with any, amount of time can really savor that one perfect cast that fish strikes immediately. But that's one out of a thousand. Mm. It's just a matter of reps. Get out there, you know, put it in a position you think you're going to be successful. Like you said, there's so many YouTube tutorials out there that, you know, you you can have a bad cast and catch a fish. It's um, while I I would never uh, understate the poetry of the sport, but it, it can be if that's a barrier of entry, don't let it be. Get out there and struggle with it. Right. You can, you can separate the two things, the catching of the fish and the working on your cast. I mean, we all like having a good cast. We all like that satisfaction of seeing it lay down nicely. But I've also had my line pile up in a, in a pile on the water and still catch a fish. And it's like, you know, I could appreciate that I caught that fish and also still try to work toward a good cast while recognizing that that's not absolutely crucial every single time I go out. Like there are times it matters and there's times it doesn't. And, and you can have both of those things at the same time or separately. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, since you live in Colorado and have since you were born, ha- like, how have you seen it change? Um, I, I guess particularly, you know, it sounds like you do a lot of blue lining in Alpine lakes, whereas I think we'd, we'd both recognize that there's a couple of big rivers in Colorado that get a lot of traffic. How, how have you seen that dynamic change? Like, has it has it gotten really noticeably more crowded? You know, have you had to switch where you're going because of that or anything like just like how has that culture changed uh, since you started fishing here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a fly fishing renaissance, right? I mean, it's like extraordinarily booming in popularity. So, yeah, definitely, you know, changed the way that I fish. You know, the, the dream stream, forget about it. Deckers, forget about it. Like, I know those are still great waters, and I'm glad that folks can go there and fish them, but just not for me. Um, as much as I can, I'm trying not to be like the old man on the front yard, like get off my grass. So I, <laughs> I want to be happy that everybody's out there doing it, but it's definitely changed my habits. I think the, the 
other thing is, is particularly into remote spaces, which is great because you, you see less traffic. But one thing that's confusing to me is like the folks with the, the you know, stand up paddle boards out there in the middle of this, this lake just seem to be floating and standing there, which I, su- I suppose they're deriving some kind of like enjoyment from that. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's been kind of confusing. I'm like, why wouldn't you just also have a little rod right there with you? Otherwise... You just kind of floating around. So, you know, <laughs> that's been an interesting trend, which I'm sure at some point people will be tired of carrying those paddle boards up, up the trail to just stand in the water. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing is kind of like, um, you know, the, the world really opening up or Colorado really opening up from the Internet. Because, you know, 30 years ago, it's like I went to the places that my dad went to and my dad mm-hmm. went to the places that his brother showed me, you know. So we had like these six or seven spots we'd go to. And I felt like, oh, that's where the fishing places are, you know. So now the resources, which is also kind of controversial of being yeah. able to spot and see where where people are having success and like being able to change it up. Um one thing I really like about that is is that it, it gives you a certain confidence to go to some new waters and try some stuff out, you know, because we all got our spots where you're like, boy, that I had a wonderful fish over there. So you kind of want to go back there. Um, but yeah. if, if, it, if it starts to be popular, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's see if, how deep we can go. And I think that also kind of was, was impetus to kind of get into kind of the blue lining stuff where, you know, these, these high alpine reservoirs become kind of a physical challenge to get there. Um, so, you know, catching six inch brookies still feels fantastic because you kind of earned it. You know. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I totally agree with that. I've, I've always said I'd rather work hard on the on the getting to somewhere and then have really easy fishing once I'm there. Like I don't want to go put my I don't want to drive to a spot and have really hard fishing. Like that doesn't sound very fun. But yeah, putting in some hard like some sweat equity and then getting easy fishing on six inch brook trout. Like I'll do that all day long. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it comes from my son too. He'd he'd say, Dad, these highway rivers. We never catch anything on these highway rivers, you know. It's like he he felt like he needed to earn it, just pulling over to the shoulder and getting into the water. He's like, "No, nah, this doesn't this doesn't feel right to him," you know. And, and you know, I think also like getting out. There's something to that, you know, because I I think that what um is exciting to me about about fishing particularly, I, I think now as I'm really trying to work towards mastery, is that when you get into fishing. Um, there's this high delta of competence that you achieve very quickly. You know, Mm -hmm. you go from like, this is terrible. My, this hopper is in the shrub behind me every single cast to like, I'm getting it on the water to I'm catching fish. And all that happens very quickly. If you're lucky enough to get out a lot in a season, it might happen in one year where you can like have a great day every time you're going out. Um, but the delta between like just basic competence and mastery in, in fishing, it's subjective, but also it's a lot harder, you know? And so I've been really investigating what I think, you know, that is, what is the, the, the components of that mastery? And one of it to me is kind of the stillness and silence that comes from being a little bit deeper in, you know, um, not having to compete for, for elbow room, um, kind of picking up on the energy and the vibration of the, of the place that you are and having that inform the way that you're, you're presenting your patterns or anything like that. So definitely for what I'm looking for out of fishing, it, it, the, the component of like um, remoteness and a little bit more wilderness is, is particularly important. That's a really interesting thought. And I wonder if like part of that has to do with, 
I, I feel like if I'm out with other people, like the strangers, let's say there, you know, there's people on the river. Um, I'm not like watching them or paying a lot of t- attention, but you're kind of always aware that someone's near you. And I feel like you kind of, you like, you watch them, you see if they're catching fish, you watch their cast and, um, you're kind of like distracted by the fact that there's people around you. You got to make sure you're not, you know, high holing them or anything. But when you're just out there by yourself, it's nothing other than you just observing and making changes to what you're doing to like match, match what you're seeing, you know, Hey, this bug is behaving this way. Let me try to put on this fly or, um, the fish are way down deep. Let me try to get deeper. There's nothing, there's no other human distraction, um, unless you're with your friends, but at that point you might be, you know, working together or sharing information. Um, but I do think that's kind of a better way to get in touch with, you know, your, like you said, your fishing mastery, your level of fishing. Like you have to take those observations in without that, that external uh, stimulus of other anglers just being near you, which is always just kind of a constant like nagging in the back of your head. Yeah. You, you know, and, and maybe because we get into the sport because we're kind of romantics about nature. And so you, you want to kind of have this feeling of isolation, Um, so it spoils it when you see somebody else. Right. Um, but you know, usually it's, it's nice to like, if they're past crossing paths with you, like, Hey man, what's going on? How's your day? You know, it's, it, it, it can be nice as well. Um, but you're right. There, there is kind of a, there's obviously a tension with more, more people. And once it's past one or two, if there's a person in front of you, a person behind you at that point, if there's anything more than that, then I'm pretty much going to tap out, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, or at least just kind of <laughs> reel it in and hang out for a while, um, which is cool, too, you know. So, yeah, you know, Colorado, the 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 out, just the outdoor, you know, uh, lifestyle here is like is is kind of like a cliche at this point. You know, that there's if you look up Colorado in the dictionary, there's, you know, a picture of a guy with a husky, a, you know, Subaru Outback a flannel shirt, an IPA and a beard. And so basically me, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meme at this point. Um, so, you know, come, it comes with a uh, certain, certain good attributes and certain challenges, you know, cause it's not just fishing either. It's the paddle boards, it's the mountain biking, it's, it's the whole shebang, you know, folks are out there and, and particularly I think during COVID is where you saw a really rise, you know, that, that people realized like how, great it was to work from home and be able to zip out of the office early on a Friday and beat that I-70 traffic. Definitely. <laughs> so. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because what you, what you said about the paddle boarding uh, made me think of a conversation I just had with uh, my friend Allie. Um, we just did a uh, like a backpacking trip and we were talking about how, like we, we like to hike. I, I like hiking. I go hiking with, you know, various friends who fish and don't fish. Um, and we do just go for hikes sometimes. But I am so much more inclined to hike when I've got something at the end to do. Um, not just somebody a peak, not just, you know, being at the end, but have like arriving and then I'm going to go fish or then I'm going to go hunt or then I'm going to go do whatever. Um, and there's that, you know, you're looking for hiking isn't the activity. It's like getting you to the activity. Um, and hiking also happens to be enjoyable. But I've had the same thought about paddle boarders where I'm like, you know, it seems like a good way to get out to some spots that you can't wade because it's too deep. Um, and, you know, fly fishing, sitting down in a boat can be hard because of the cast. Uh, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, I, you know, if I had a paddleboard, I feel like I would use that as a means to go fishing. Are, are you the same way with like hiking where you like hiking, but there's got to be some sort of um, activity you're looking forward to at the end to like really uh, make it more enjoyable? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Hiking, um, maybe it's just a competitive nature too, but like if I'm on a well-worn trail, you know, I'm going to check my watch, you know, it, now it becomes like, I'm going to win this trail if there's nothing else to do, you know what I mean? And that's cool. And I love that in trail runners and stuff. You're like, I'm moving quickly and look how fast I did this 14er (laughs) and stuff. But objectively, I I think it's kind of missing the point, at least with me, like there, there's a certain amount of like, um, testing the vibe in nature. Like I'm not trying to like exert myself too much. And maybe that just comes from kind of stalking and hunting is that there's a way to kind of ease into an area where you're picking up cues. And and that's really what I enjoy about being outside is like not necessarily hiking it, but like meandering, wandering, mm-hmm. you know, kind of discovering things um, is really what I'm looking to do. So if there is like, okay, you know what, seven and a half miles to get up to that lake, you know, so then you, I am going to be kind of like more narrow minded, but I do know that like at that point that I'm there, then I have this explore exploration. I have a kind of experience of the stillness and the silence and I can kind of acclimate to that environment as opposed to kind of what I just did, which was dominate the trail for seven and a half miles. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I, I really have been trying to examine like, what do I like about this? And maybe it's because a lot of things that I've been doing, I kind of, gut check and like, I don't really like this, you know, and so, even though I was doing it almost probably mechanically out of just habit or things that I wanted my kids to try. And like, I was doing all these things that just wasn't it for me, you know? And I, I had kind of a moment, um, a year ago where I was like fishing and I was like, do I like this? Is this something I enjoy doing? You know? And I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely, definitely really like this. So that was exciting. Cause like losing some of the th- things you're, you don't know if you like to do them is kind of destabilizing. Um, but kind of under that examination, it was like, well, what do I like about this? What, it, what am I trying to get? And really, I think it is that kind of, um, that con- conversation with stillness and silence and like, particularly with, with fishing is I feel like when you're really focused, you're having a great day, your gear's all going smooth and you can kind of notice the, this, the silence it has like an extra presence. There's like something else there that is just the tranquility of the thing is like this characteristic of the, of the experience that I, I really like and that I actually end up really pursuing, you know, because um, it actually takes a bit of work to get there. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Maybe this is a good transition to, uh, I know you wanted to talk about uh, fishing as kind of like a performance enhancing tool for your life. You know, like, what what can you gain from fishing that allows you to be a better person in the rest of your life? And I feel like 
most anglers would inherently kind of understand that, you know, like when I come back from a fishing trip, I feel like I'm a happier, less stressed person. I can, I can, you know, put in the work maybe this week, knowing that I can go fishing over the weekend. Like it's something to look forward to. Um, there's all kinds of ways that, that I feel like having that release and that stress relief and that tranquility, um, can kind of help you in the rest of your life. But, um, I wanted to hear specifically like what you wanted to talk about. Um, I know you mentioned like career relationships, spiritual practices, things like that, but, um, how do you apply fishing to like, just being a better person, um, in the other aspects of your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that like, particularly around uh, in our life where we're kind of all based around outcomes. You know what I mean? Like the experience of stillness in, in fishing is like, well, what do you, what do you get out of that? How do you make that a thing? Um, like quantifying and, success. Yeah, totally. Like, what are you talking about this fishing, the, the silence thing? Um, I think that there is objectively like, um, things that come out of that, that are outcomes that are positive, but also just the experience of that, I feel like is, is so good. You know, it, it, it actually just makes you feel better. So particularly with career is one thing I was thinking about the other day, cause I spent the whole day fishing and ended up catching one fish at the end of the day, which is beautiful, mature brown trout. It was gorgeous, but it was probably my best day, favorite day fishing of all time, only because just the way everything went, everything was very smooth. Um, because I was prepared, I kind of went in with certain expectation of like, this is what I want to try. This is how it's going to go. I ended up taking this fish on, you know, I had a hopper to, um, uh, Royal Wolf and then got it on a Copper John, but I had kind of been working through my whole box all day and then slowly adding on and like being really good with everything. Everything just clicked that day. It was a beautiful day in the Canyon and I ended up catching a fish was just the cherry on top and I left, you know? Um, but during that day I was, I was kind of, in, while I was, uh, fishing, I was kind of, uh, being curious of like, why is it, why am I having such a good time? And I, I feel like it was because like bringing all this experience, um, that I've had in like being prepared and being organized, being open to kind of the improvisation that goes, making the right decisions, which to me a lot of times means just hike in even further. Don't stop, hit that spot on the way back, you know? So like um, trusting my, my intuition, a lot of these things where I feel like career-wise, um, I can bring the same kind of attention, you know, of preparation and or orderliness in organization. <laughs> so, so after I had that wonderful day, I kind of came and like, you know, cleaned my desk and took the documents off my desktop and like started seeing, um, my workflow much like I, I see fishing. And this was actually an interesting, um, moment where I feel like, okay, I'm starting to work towards mastery only be, and that's kind of a weird word because it sounds like it's kind of, Maybe there's an arrogance in that, like a ma I don't think there's ever, it ever ends, but maybe the differentiation I see with mastery is that when you really are it, it kind of deeply into a passion, let's say fishing, um, then you start to see the world as a metaphor for that thing. 
Um, and I've experienced a couple different times, you know, in a previous life, I was a musician and just being immersed in music and performing all the time that like everything you do starts to feel like music. Like if you're like, I'm going to go get some Cheetos as you're walking, you can kind of feel this harmony and this melody and this rhythm of going to eat Cheetos, you know, or <laughs> in martial arts, you know, I, I trained jujitsu for a long time. So you start to see the world in a metaphor of jujitsu of like, oh, position and this is leverage and this is balance. And like it all happens like that. So I was really excited to see that, like my attention started going to like seeing work and aspects of of fishing and like the components of fishing that um, were helpful to me started influencing um, my workspace. So so to me, you know, I can see how the 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 desire and the work towards um, mastery and fishing can kind of spill over into other ways of the of my work, um, which is really exciting. You know, largely because then you know my poor team has to endure all these you know, fishing analogies, you know, <laughs> I think it drives them crazy, but like, I, I just see it. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is, it's how you tie the line. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but I do think that like the components of fishing is probably unique to every single person. Um, but can be super helpful with, with your career, what you're trying, trying to do. You know, um, the other component of that in relationships is kind of what I was talking about stillness and having some time to, to reflect. Um, but that's not necessarily rumination. You know, a lot of times, you know, particularly if I'm doing something uh, exhaustive, let's say like we are trying to we're doing that seven miles on a nice clip to get to the lake. I find myself in physical activity running these kind of monotonous thing, there's more of a rumination. I'm, I'm more of like a, I'm thinking about scenarios that have happened and, and things like that, which, which is, which is great. Um, but my attention is not necessarily on the trail It's rather I'm kind of ruminating on other things. Whereas if my blood isn't up and my, I'm not breathing hard and I'm on the river or I'm on the lake or the inlet or whatever, um, I'm hyper-focused on what's happening on the water so that the thoughts that arise aren't necessarily about the past or the future, um, but it's more of kind of like a, an experiential understanding of different relationships or um, it, it seems to be, at least for me, more of a feeling thing than, than kind of an intellectualized uh, thought. So I found that to be like extraordinarily helpful in, in personal relationships, you know, whether that's with my kids, of course, or my wife or work relationships, I think that's been really helpful. Um, also, particularly with your close relationships, let's be honest, sometimes we all need a vacation from our family. So actually the separation of doing that thing <laughs> solo can actually really improve your relationships, at least in my experience. Um, no, I, I agree. I not, think <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a reason that the phrase, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. It's like if you're out and, you know, you start to miss that person, you're looking forward, you're having fun now, but you're looking forward to getting home. And there's kind of like a, it's almost like a win-win at that point. You're happy to be where you are, but you're excited to be done so you can go home and see your family. Um, I, I wouldn't call it like an escape from them, but just kind of like a, a break to reflect and have some solo time and, and come back, you know, more appreciative than you went out. Yeah, absolutely. How about you? Do you go fishing with your partner? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, I go fishing alone, I go fishing with friends and I go fishing with him. Um, probably, probably about equally all three. Um, cause I, I like each for their own thing. Now, does your wife go with you? 
She does, but she doesn't fish. Okay. Um, but she's happy to be there. Um, there's definitely spots that I'll, I'll go when I, and I'll bring my wife and I have one of those things, you know, those big, like weird socks that you fill up with air and then it's like a sofa. Yes. I have essentially, you know what I'm saying? Like I bring that and I find a sunny spot and just set her up and she's just like, takes a nap. (laughs) She loves it. It's awesome. It's so I love having her there, but you know, most of the time she's like, "Ah, I'm going to do something else and I'll go with my son. Um, which obviously like, you know, fishing with your kids is like, possibly the, the the best thing ever um and i i just feel so happy that i didn't ruin it for them um dads can ruin things for their kids i don't know if you knew that <laughs> <laughs> um i did ruin fishing for my daughter unfortunately uh because we did it so much that now she's like i don't like fishing dad but well, it sounds like you've got extras <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, you're my second favorite now. Get away from me. Um, <laughs> but no, but I, you know, definitely scaling it back. But like, I mean, my kids were like three years old. And I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, um, freaking my my wife out next yeah. to the you know Boulder Creek when it's raging. Um, in retrospect, was probably a terrible idea. Um, but they're fine. But I do remember there was just like a magical memory of being on the Dreamstream with my son. He was ten. And completely self-sufficient, confident, catching fish on his own. It was just, it was just the most incredible thing of seeing him on the river, encapsulated in a cloud of mosquitoes, but nonetheless, like having a really good day fishing. It was so cool. So, you know, that, that works. And like you're saying, like fishing is kind of sneaky hiking. So if you can get your kids moving a little bit, um, it's it's really helpful. So how how do you um, think, you know, if we're talking about kind of enhancing your relationships, the comparison of, you know, sometimes you leave your family to go fishing and, and that in turn makes makes you come back, you know, more ready to be a good family member, let's say, versus fishing with somebody as, as kind of a different way to enhance your relationships. Um, and let's say, you know, you're going and doing something difficult together because it sounds like both of us tend to like to get into the backcountry and work a little bit hard to get to where we're fishing. Um, I've noticed that people that I do those type of activities with quickly become some of my closest friends. Um, I don't have a lot of really close friends that I haven't gone through something difficult with. Um, I think there's yeah. there's kind of a bit of a reliance um, involved, but I just want to hear your thoughts on that. You know, relationships that you've developed through fishing versus um, kind of just being a general, you know, better family member because you have this escape. Um, how do those things compare for you? Yeah, it's kind of a comparison for me of just like the 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 duration of the friendship. You know, I'm pretty fortunate that I've got friends I go back with to like kindergarten, you know, red light, green light. We still got problems about, you know, old playground beefs. Um, so, and these guys tend to be like, these are my hunting buddies. These are the people that I've been backpacking with since high school. Um, you know, like you said, like we've had like harrowing life or death experiences together, um, where there's a shorthand and, and being out in in the wilderness fishing, generally speaking, these guys, we all have kids now. So, you know, we're going medium, um, but definitely in, you know, in hunting season, it, it, it gets to that point. So there's a, there's a understanding of like, I know that if things go sideways, if I'm with these people, we're okay, you know, cause things have gone sideways before. And then I have newer friends 
maybe people that are newer to the sport, maybe people that um, are into the sport, but maybe that I, ha I haven't really tested or also they just don't go that hard. So there's, I guess what uh, I'm a little bit more captain safety around these folks of making sure that I'm prepared if I need to take care of them. Um, if, you know, they slip and break their wrinkle or like not getting people into too much. Um, I, I think I, I be, that being a parent is definitely like kind of created that persona in me of like, let's make sure we're everybody's really safe. And like, like we're going to really look at those thunderheads, you know, if we're, <laughs> if we're doing Alpine right. lakes at 2 PM in Colorado, like we hear thunder, we are out, you know, um, kind of taking lead a little bit more. Um, so, but then that becomes a great bonding experience, you know, because, you know, just if I differentiate bef between like friends, I can see that it is actually these formative experiences. Maybe you test your, your limitations a little bit is what kind of connects you to them, you know? So I, I love it. You know, I love taking people fishing when they really haven't done that. Or, you know, in Colorado, we're so lucky, particularly last couple of years that there's this amazing like foraging opportunities now for mushrooms and stuff like that or rock hounding there's all these different ways to like kind of engage with friends so even though i'm evangelist and always like and trying to get everybody to go fishing with me at least you know one time and figure it out if the, if it's a little bit much then like being able to pivot and finding other opportunities to connect definitely i, I know what you mean about people like there, there's times i feel like i'm i'm responsible for the group like i'm not that i'm actually guiding them but you know, I'm I'm in charge of the group here. I feel like people's safety is my responsibility. If something happens to somebody, I feel like it's my fault. And then there's other friends I've got who we are very much equals on the trip. You know, we're di we're discussing decisions. Um, and if something bad happened to them, I wouldn't necessarily feel like it was my fault. I would say, you know, you know, you made that decision um, because we, we're both here together, having equal input, and no one no one is like taking care of anybody else. I mean, we're taking care of each other, but it's you're not my responsibility at that point. I got we just kind of trust that everybody is uh, everybody's experienced enough to make good decisions and, and contribute equally to the group. Um, and I, I really like when I get to a place with somebody where we can have that kind of um, understanding. It's like an unspoken understanding that uh, we both know what's going on here. We're both experienced and we're here to help each other and rely on each other, but we, we have kind of equal footing. Um, I really like that point because it, it feels like a very reliable relationship. Like those are the friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life um, because we have been there for each other and we have gone through those things together. Um, and I do think it, not just fishing, outdoor experiences in general, because they put you in those, um, like you said, sometimes life or death situations um, or just difficult, you know, you got to make a difficult decision. Do we stay or do we leave? Um, those, I feel like those experiences really quickly progress relationships faster than we get together once a week for coffee. You know, th there's just something different in that type of experience together. Yeah. You kind of develop your own sign language and stuff, you right. know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you get to know someone's personality. If you spend 14 hours with them and oh, you're yeah. sunburned at the end of the day. Yep. And or then you're like, getting oh. nailed on. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, you want, you want my beer? That's that's what happened. You didn't think to bring your own. Is oh, okay. I, I see who you are. Yeah, I'm gonna take note. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the other thing I wanted to touch on too was the spiritual practice um, in fishing and a couple of things that I've been interested in um, because I kind of uh, have always I've always been attracted to religion as like a 
like a tourist, I suppose, in studying. I don't, I'm not necessarily a very religious person, um, but over the years I've become a spiritual person, which also is kind of vague and unclarified. Um, but to me, spiritual practice is the something that you actually do, you know? So if it's contemplative practice or if it's singing in the choir or whatever, it's like the actual thing that's doing um, in kind of a contemplative practice. Um, and fishing obviously has a lot of this like great innate experience. And I would say semi-consciousness um, altering <laughs> experiences, uh, uh, which is harder to explain, but like if you're on the water long enough, you can kind of feel things of the environment, which is interesting. But as a student, I think of like um, spiritual texts, if we're talking about like the Tao Te Ching, or we're talking about the Bible, it's always been interesting, I guess, relatable to me, to the practice or to the, the scriptures when they mention fishing, particularly in like the Eastern esoteric stuff. There's always stuff about rivers, um, crossing rivers, it, and it immediately endears me to the, the author. It's like, oh, I know who this guy is. This guy's on the river fishing. You know, it humanizes it in a way. It allows me to kind of get get some like tangible because, you know, you, you if you get into kind of like religious scriptures, they're very crazy, you know, in a good way. But like you can tell they were written to be authorities on things. And so you, it kind of has this kind of turn off of like talking at you, whereas I think that it's really interesting to see what what's in there. It's kind of a three dimensional text. But for me, it's always helpful when you, they start talking about the river or fishing. You know, I don't think it's like, you know, any surprise that Jesus went to the fishermen to find his disciples. You know what I mean? It's like, well, why would he go there? It's like, because they're all hanging out fishing. These are some good guys. You can recruit <laughs> these guys. They're, they're going to be on board for this message of love, you know. So <laughs> where, where fishing has been like, a kind of a instrumental with materializing some of my spiritual practices actually in just the action of fishing. It's also been helpful from like kind of a religious studies perspective because it seems to humanize the characters in these stories because I immediately can relate to, to people fishing. So it happens, to, it ends up being kind of like this incredible unifying force throughout all human history that people have always done, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, mean I go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like that's, it's kind of natural um, for that to have happened just because I feel like fishing has been part of humanity since the dawn of time. I mean, people have been catching fish all over the world in various ways, um, feeding themselves for, for eons, basically. And uh, it, I feel like it tracks that that is something that has kind of stuck around and inserted itself into uh, all these different, you know, different cultures. You you could argue that the Bible is very different from uh, various other religious texts, but um, at the end of the day, they're still made by people who have, you know, inherited these things that have been passed down for ages. So it's, you know, it's not surprising to me that something as ubiquitous as fishing has made its way across religious texts and has been such an integral part of them. Yeah. And if it wasn't done intentionally, because they know, I mean, it would make sense biologically that the people that survived had a biological reflex to enjoy fishing because they're going to eat the fish. Yeah. <laughs> so like if, if one of the traits that we inherited from our ancestors is the love of fishing, because it makes you actually, uh, 
your, it increases your fitness to survive. You know, I don't know. Uh, probably so, you know, plus fish are delicious, which boy, what a, what a great treat that is. I mean, particularly because we live in Colorado, so we get to catch trout all the time, man. And no disrespect to, to bass fishermen. I like fishing for bass too, but it's just not as delicious. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you, you know, considering this, you know, the fact that people like fishing because they have, you know, we've had to fish to survive for so long. Um, where do you think, where do you think the tables turned where someone was like, you know what, I don't need this fish to survive, but boy, that was fun. And I want to go out and like basically catch and release. Um, because you know, there, there is some sort of, I'm sure some sort of trigger in you when you have a fish on the line, something deep inside you that's like, I'm going to eat tonight. But most of the time, you know, you've got food at home. You don't actually need that fish to eat. And there, then it switches to, this is just plain fun. You know, where, where yeah. do you think that, that switch was flipped and people, you know, acknowledge, do you think the fun aspect came from that biological need to, to get fish to eat? Or do you think, you know, there's just something in people that, you know, looks for entertainment? You know, where, where do you think that originated? Yeah, you know what? I it, it does seem to be fun, even regardless if you eat it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. <laughs> preparing the fish is great, but it's got to catch and release has got to be a very modern invention, right? I assume so. <laughs> but like, I, pe- I, mean, I feel like people have to have been having fun reeling in fish for a long time and not just because they know they're going to eat. You know, like I'm sure yeah. centuries ago, someone was reeling in a fish and was like, boy, this is fun. I don't care if I have to eat this, if I'm going to eat this fish or not. Like, I just love this tug on my line. Oh, absolutely. If you and I were in, in camp and we're like, hey, Katie and I are going fishing. They're like, we just killed a yak. You're like, eh, I, I'm not hungry. I just, I just want to go fishing. Like, that's all. They're, they're all confused. And then catch and release was born. You know, um, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I think there's like a catch and release, particularly barbless, I think is really fun and fun. You know, it's one something that I really picked up from my son. Obviously, like I have a deep respect and love for nature and the fish, but son's very adamant at the way you handle the fish in a good way to give them the best chance to be okay. You know, so I, I think some of this care and like um, probably comes from Disney. You know, I'm sure there's always been a great reverence for for these things, but maybe also being in a modern world, we we understand global scarcity around fish and water in particular <laughs> um, probably is contributing factor to that. Um, but it is interesting. It, it, catch and release had to come from some kind of calorie surplus where, you know, you got a yak or a buffalo at camp and you're just like, I don't even want this fish. Send it back in. Well, I think it's important too to acknowledge that people have probably been releasing fish bef- like much longer than people have been deliberately going out saying, I'm going to release every fish I catch. Because, you know, if you're fishing for food and you catch something that's three inches long, you know, when you go hunting, you deliberately say, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this animal now. I've decided that I want this animal and now I'm going to kill it. Whereas fishing, it kind of happens to you. I mean, you're, you're fishing, but what bites your line is is somewhat out of your control. And so if you're going out trying to catch dinner and you catch a four inch brook trout, you're probably going to say, no, I'm going to put this back because I don't like, I don't really want to eat this. It's too small for me to eat. Um, I'll let it, I'll let it get bigger and try to catch it again later. And so I have to assume that people catching fish, you know, thousands of years ago would still occasionally release fish if they weren't, you know, the proper type of fish they were looking to catch. Um, And I wonder if at some point, you know, you you release 
five fish that day and keep one, you're like, well, I still had a great time, you know? So like I could go out and do this whenever I want. Um, and I, I feel like at some point it had to have morphed to, I'm going out knowing I'm going to release all my fish. But I, I assume that that has existed in some way for a long time, just, um, by the nature of fishing, being kind of a, a passive, uh, you know, you react to what the, what the fish does to you. And understanding that like, oh, it's four inches now and it'll catch it next year. It'll be, you know, 14. And then that's a nice meal. I guess the other thing is too, I think I have this like um, probably wrong intuition that fisher people were starving in some capacity. I, I'm pretty sure that like seasonally, you know, that's why humans all lived on the coast is because fish were so abundant, you know, like humans did great. And there's, there's a, you know, a strong claim that like our brains were able to get so large and evolve so quickly because we are eating so much protein and fat from fish on the coasts. So I'm sure they were catching releasing all the time because I mean, you know, it's like I watch alone and I see these poor people starving. I'm like, dude, what are you doing looking for berries, man? Just catch two <laughs> fish a day. You're fine. You could just, you'll be there forever. Right. You know, so I'm sure if it was like, you know, you wake up, you go fishing, you catch two big fish, you eat them, you're like, sweet. Well, what else am I going to do? I'm not hiking. That's insane. I, I'm going to stay here and go fishing. I'm not going to stand up paddleboard because those aren't even invented yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, I always kind of come from the perspective of like the kind of fishing I do, which is like alpine fishing. But, you know, most of those those things are stocked or they have like brookies, invasive species and stuff like that. You know, if we were in Colorado, you know, pre-colonialism, then, you know, we're definitely going to be eating big game, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's really no reason to go to those alpine lakes at all, unless you're like probably foraging for different stones and things like that. So, you know, the kind of fishing that we do, um, I realized that like, I, I have kind of a blind spot to probably what the historical way people have been fishing forever. And that came out once because my son and I went on a, um, a bucket list fish trip to Arizona and we, we pull into, I think it was Prescott and we we're like, Hey, where's the tackle shop? And they're like, what's that? I was like, you know, the tackle shop. They're like, no, we don't have that here. And I was like, why not? And it's like, and then it just clicked. It's like, dude, you're in Arizona, man. There's no water here. This is like the surface of Mars. <laughs> you know, there was like <laughs> no water, you know, they don't even have a fishing shop, you know? So I was like, wow, man, Brian, you, you, did you even think this through? Uh, we ended up having a wonderful time and uh, looking for an Apache trout on the reservation, which was really exciting. We did not catch it, but. But I, some of my my cognitive like biases that were kind of exposed of like you know the world's not Colorado, bro. The world isn't <laughs> so. as obsessed with fishing as some people are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, speaking yeah, of we, speaking of interesting stories, the the last thing I wanted to make sure I asked you about that um, was mentioned was the uh, your trip to the North Platte where you were in a tornado. I really want to hear you know how what 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 this story is about. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, another uh, uh, story of me blowing it and probably ruining fishing for my family. Um, <laughs> they forgave me, thank God. Uh, this is a few years ago. Um, the result of this storm, uh, not only was it a gigantic thunderstorm that produced tornadoes all over the place, but it ended up coming into Denver and blew over several billboards. I don't know if you remember this storm. It's like June 2020, I want to say. Maybe 2019 because I think it was pre-COVID. It was a ridiculous storm. Um, and this is a cautionary tale of like 
trust the locals. Um, but I was very motivated. I wanted to take the family on a fishing trip. We were going to go get some like drift boats, do the North Platte. It was a section of the river I hadn't done. Going to camp out. It's going to be great. And I just forced the whole thing. My wife is like, honey, have you seen the, the weather reports? I'm like, no, I, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's at this time of year. It always rains. It'll pass. No problem to worry about it. You know, just pushing, pushing, pushing. We ended up getting there, setting up camp briefly. Um, and then it kind of hunkering or uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I've got it wrong. We get in, drop camp, then go to the river directly. And so <laughs> everyone's leaving the river. The skies are black with, you know, when the, 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 the clouds have a ring of green and like bright white. So that thing's happening. I go into this, the, the tackle shop where you get the drift boats and he's like, <laughs> I'm like, what's biting? He's like, nothing today. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, storm's coming in. I was like, nope, I have a reservation. And he's like, how experienced are you with um, with drift boats? And I'm like, very. My son starts elbowing me. This is like probably the second time I've ever been in a drift <laughs> boat. <laughs> I'm like, how hard can it be? I've been doing CrossFit for seven years on a rowing machine. I need to actually like put this to practical use. So we end up on this on the stretcher river and just got absolutely destroyed um, the whole way. And in kind of like, you know, there's prayers being said as the wind is pegging me to one bank to the other side. I was a terrible captain. You know, <laughs> my son almost goes over. So we get off the river, um, take it back up, and then we have to camp. Um <laughs> Because that's the only shelter we had. So we're in a tent and the tent is like literally on top of us all night. Just being winds, blown over. It was like, yeah, it was like 60, 70 mile an hour winds, which uh, if you've done any camping or in Wyoming, Wyoming is unreal yeah. with the wind. So we just got um, completely destroyed. The next morning, the tent's broken. <laughs> Family's disheveled. I basically just like, you can't, it's like torn and it's all messed up. So I just kind of like, throw everything in the truck and then strap this broken tent on top of it and we leave in disgrace now did you catch anything no i did not my son <laughs> had a giant football on and wasn't able to land it because i was a terrible captain and that there was like white caps it was it was a complete disaster um and I, so i guess the reason for sharing the story is for other fathers out there perhaps young fathers don't do that 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 was the one that broke my daughter forever. Like she'll, she'll <laughs> never go to the river to me ever again. Cause now there's a lack of trust. Like when you clearly see, but as we were saying before, it's it, in retrospect, we can look at those pictures and look at our face and, and how just absolutely ragged that night <laughs> of sleep was. And it's, it's endearing and they get to make fun of me forever for that. So net positive. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm but, sure it brought you guys closer together. Uh, you know, having your lives flash before your eyes together in a boat uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> probably probably strengthens those bonds. It did. It did. And it also taught me that, like, the care that I should have when I'm out with other folks um, that I haven't had harrowing experiences with is probably the care I should have with my own family who, right. unfortunately, <laughs> have been on a, a couple of these kind of things. Where I'm like, ah, we're fine. They're tough. We can do it. Let's go. Like, no, no, no. Come on. <laughs> Don't yeah, I think the, the quickest way to get someone to not like fishing is to take them out and not 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 catch fish. That's I feel like that's uh, fine. <laughs> it's uh, you know make them make them question whether they uh, were safe the whole time. Um, Put them through a tornado. Right. That, that's that's not a great idea. Sometimes you got to turn around. 
um, these, these are the lessons that hopefully I'm, I'm getting a little bit better at. Well, you know, a learning experience. That's right. Well, um, Ryan, just to wrap up, um, I don't know how how much of a presence you have online for your fishing content, but um, if anyone wanted to reach out or like find, I don't know if you have like any fishing social media or anything like that, but um, where can people find you if they wanted to, you know, see what you're up to? You bet. Um, so I don't do anything actively online. I'm just okay. sensitive to like areas that I don't want them blown up. And I don't really understand when I put a picture up, like, well, who can see what? Somebody was telling me like their geo-targeted location is everywhere. But I do have an Airtable spreadsheet of absolute fantastic um, uh, alpine lakes uh, that we're kind of talk about today that are that are my spots um, that I'm happy to share with anybody um, that wants to do it. And so long as they don't share it with anybody and, and they're looking for like great spots in Colorado, um, I have a pretty elaborate uh Airtable spreadsheet that kind of talks about the lift required to get in there. So if you want to plan for like little kiddos, there's stuff in there. If you really want to go hard, there's some stuff in there. So best place to hit me is on LinkedIn. That's kind of the only social media I check. Okay. Um, you can just search Ryan Estes in Denver and find me. And if you hit me like with a DM, I'm happy to share this um, for the listeners. Um, Katie, I want to thank you for having this awesome podcast and just being able to come on here and speak maybe a little philosophical and maybe it didn't make any sense at all. But I love that you do this because the other component of fishing that's so important is talking about fishing. Yeah. No, I, I've gathered that from a lot of people is they just want to talk about it. Like there's, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be practical tips and techniques. A lot of time it's just, hey, have you experienced the same thing I have? You know, like almost wanting that validation. So I love these conversations that are a little bit less about the how to's and more about the, um, you know, what you've experienced in your time out there. It's great. And thanks for creating a home for that. This has been so fun. Well, thank you. I've, I've had a ton of fun and, uh, I mean, you live probably 20 minutes from me. Maybe we'll have to find some time to get out in the water together at some point. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I, I, I promise no tornadoes. I'm going to hold you to that if we go out. That's, that's, a, hard, <laughs> that's a hard limit for me. <laughs> I know how, what happens when I get excited. You'll be like, hey, Ryan, we can't go. This is a tornado. I'm like, they're always wrong. Don't worry about that. Come on, let's go. It's true. I mean, most of the time the rain does just pass. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up in the same situation at some point. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. You got a tornado fishing trip in your in the future. <laughs> I can only I can only hope. Well, Ryan, I will let you get going. I know we're coming up on time here, but um, this has been a ton of fun. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com, for all episodes and show notes. And also, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.